Hey guys, uh, before we get to today's show, uh, one of the things that Alex and I want to do with our podcast uh, is highlight some awesome stuff going on in the Flint community. So as many of you know, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and a former guest of ours, Nick Cotton, head coach of Flint Roller Derby, has been selected as a community leader by an organization, Real Men Wear Pink of Flint. And he's been selected to raise money and awareness for breast cancer the entire month of October. Uh, This weekend, uh, I'm going to have the privilege of seeing my wife play roller derby under Nick's guide up at the Mitten Kitten Tournament in Mackinac, where the team hopes to improve on last year's second place finish. And I really hope they do. They've been working hard. But Nick has transformed Flint Roller Derby over the last couple of years into a a force, really. Um, And his hard work and commitment as a volunteer coach have led the team to a 17-5 record over the last two years, which is pretty outstanding from where they come from. But that, that dedication that Nick has shown in volunteering, coaching this team... Um, is translating into his fundraising because as of this reading, he's already passed the halfway point of his $2,400 goal. That's pretty awesome. And so um, breast cancer is a big deal, guys. Uh, You know, just looking over some rough numbers, 250,000 women and men will be affected this year over over that. And over 40,000 are going to unfortunately have their lives claimed by it Uh, so you know the city of flint is having a little fun here selecting some men to raise some money and nick cotton's been selected so let's help him reach his goal and let's fight breast cancer Uh, in the show description and on our website you'll find a link to learn more about nick and his achievements as well as have the opportunity to donate and alex and i both hope that you will consider it so just wanted to give him a quick shout out here before we get started. So here's the show. Hey, Jason. Hey, buddy. We're, we're back in full swing for yeah. Not Your Pastors podcast. First it, show was last weekend. Yeah, and I'm blown away. And I, before we get into our episode and just really kind of we kind of dive into some some serious topics in this one. But yeah. Before we get into it, I want to say thank you guys to you, the fan, the listener, for listening to our episode. So this is, we did an episode on conspiracy theory. So if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. It's super fun. Yeah. It's just Jason and I. Just us cutting up, really. And so Jason and I have never posted the numbers for our episodes that we posted this past weekend. Not not on top of, on top of that, we were gone for... Month and a half. A month and a half. We were gone for six weeks, and our numbers got better when we came back. And not only did they get better, they got better without us having an awesome guest. Yeah. Sometimes we just have a really awesome guest, and we'll get a bunch of plays over the weekend because this particular guest is on our show. But we've never had the numbers that we've seen where we've, it's just you and I. Yeah. And I was actually looking at our SoundCloud, and I don't know how accurate SoundCloud is for numbers, but we're almost to the 20,000 total plays. That's that's awesome, it's, man. I, I can't believe it, especially when our first year, our first year, we had 1,000? It was, yeah, our first our first half a year. So what we'd consider season one yeah. was like 1,000 plays. 
And now and we're at almost 20,000. It's, it's, it's crazy, man. And it's all thanks to you guys. That's you That's you guys sharing them. That's you guys telling your friends about them. So I was just excited guys. that I said, hey, we're coming back this weekend. And people were excited. It's like, yeah. oh, people like remembered us. Yeah. And that, and that was one of our concerns that we had when we took the break. Like, ah, we're going to take this break. Like, hopefully, hopefully we don't lose anybody. And it doesn't seem like we did. No. So thank you guys so, so much. And... Hopefully we'll do some more, uh, some more fun episodes for you guys, or it's just Jason and I cutting up. But today, yeah, you know, we, we Jason and I like to have fun in the show. Like we we do funny skits, we do funny uh, segments in our show, and we talk about ridiculous things sometimes. But then there's times where we have to talk about something serious. Yeah, and that's what we do on this episode with uh, with our our special guest Sarah Dismore, and we talk specifically about abortion. Yeah. Um... You know, Alex and I were we're not pastors. No, I mean that. I mean, this podcast shows that because we couldn't make it as pastors. Yeah, but you know, one of the things that we did get to experience in ministry and still get to experience is it, we get to experience God working in in a myriad of different ways that you really don't discuss from the pulpit. Um, sometimes you can't. Sometimes there's church politics involved. Sometimes you just become a victim of schedule and fitting logistically, you know, putting uh, a gathering or a service together and, you know, you got your songs and you got your giving and you got everything else and it's it's hard to fit in. Stories like what Alex and I want to talk about. That's one of the reasons we call it Not Your Pastor's Podcast. It's stuff you can't really say from the pulpit. And today we're talking about abortion and not your typical abortion episode. We're not talking about pro or anti-abortion um, per se. We're not making some declaration on our on our stance and supporting it with Bible scripture. Instead, this is more um, of a of a personal narrative, a story of our guest. But Alex, we found. Um, My wife actually sent this to me. It's out of the Christian Post. And the headline of this article says, 70% of women who get abortions identify as Christians. And that, I mean, you know, I I read the study and I read the article and, and, you know, and I don't know the exact amount of research and everything that went into it, but that headline's still alarming because when you think of abortion, you don't think of it as a problem inside of the church, Right. Yeah. You would think of it as, as it's something that the secular world does. The, yeah, the outsiders. Yeah. And it's not. Uh, it happens in the church too. It happens to girls and women who are sitting right beside beside us on a on any given Sunday morning. Our guest today, Sarah, is one of those women who grew up in a Christian family who sang in the choir. And at an early age, um, before she turned 20, had an abortion. So at the beginning of this interview, you're going to hear her testimony, which was sent to us in a video um, that I had found in a blog entry by one of our favorite podcasters, Brandon Andrus. Nice, this guy. Uh, friend to, mutual friend to our guest. And it just struck me of such grace and forgiveness and redemption and really showing me how we, we turn abortion kind of into this demon that's the church's responsibility to slay, but it's not an unforgivable sin. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that another key theme in her in her uh, her her talk in her story with us was open and honest confession. Yes. And so you guys are going to hear you're going to hear a very it's 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 one of those hard episodes to listen to because I'm sure you know everybody's got their opinions on abortion and but I, what I'm asking you as the listener just listen to Sarah's story and try and glean something from it especially if you're if you're on the anti-abortion camp because I don't if if that study's true Jason and yeah. I, I mean I I read the article you you sent it to me if that story that story's true then this is not a problem that's just outside the church. This is a problem within the church. And it, it and changes what, how we talk yeah. about it, how we identify with it. Um, so we, so actually in this episode, I, I don't want to take too much away from this episode because yeah. it's great. And Sarah was probably, she's a really great guest. And But we talk about maybe some different solutions that we can take as a church to, to maybe help with this, with this issue. So, without further ado, Jason, we should just let Sarah speak because yeah. she, she does such she, a she runs the show. She here. does way better than we can. And so, without further ado, this is not your pastor's abortion episode. loving Christian home. I was active in my youth group, and I was basically a good kid. However, at about age 16, I started to rebel and chose a path contrary to the way I was raised. I made my decision to abort in a moment of fear and panic. The initial relief that I was no longer pregnant quickly turned into remorse as the reality of what I had done fully sank in. After that, I turned my back on God, believing that I could never be forgiven for what I had done. Sure, other people could be forgiven, but not me. I had done the unthinkable. I killed my own baby. I selfishly took the easy way out. Turns out the simple solution to my problem became a living nightmare. In silence, I carried a heavy burden of heartache. I struggled with intense guilt, shame, and depression. I never talked about my abortion. I believed that because I made the decision to abort, I deserved all the terrible consequences. I suffered from symptoms of post-abortion grief and trauma. I was depressed, anxious, self-destructive, angry, and full of regret. I was always ashamed. There wasn't a day that went by that I didn't think about it. I was haunted by my choice, and every single aspect of my life was negatively affected by it. I felt like my whole life was a lie. I could never let anyone know the real me, what I had done, or how my heart ached. I finally found healing by joining a post-abortion recovery group. It was hard to admit that I'd had an abortion, but as hard as it was to reveal my deep, dark secret, at least I was finally able to talk about it with other women who had also regretted their abortions. It was a safe environment, a sisterhood really, where we all faced our past and found peace together. 
That supportive and confidential environment brought a sense of hope and a purpose for my future. The healing I found literally saved my life. I learned that I am truly forgiven and loved by God. No matter how great the sin, Jesus wipes the slate clean. It is only by the grace of God that I am at a place of peace in my life to be able to share my testimony. Because it is His victory. Apart from God, my story, well, it's just a story. But with God, it is a story of His redemption, His love, and His grace. There is no unforgivable sin. Restoration, peace, and healing are possible. Trust me, I know. felt really called to be, um, I guess, public with my testimony when I started leading post-abortion recovery groups. And um, part of that for me was um, just the initial group that I was in. Um, I, there was a, a woman at church who stood up in front of the entire congregation and started talking about the Bible study that she was leading and um, shared, you know, bits and pieces of her testimony. But I was completely floored that there was um, a woman out there yeah. <laughs> who, who was willing to share her testimony. She was standing in the church. People weren't stoning her. Um, people were receiving her message and, um, you know, she was reaching out to women in the church and outside of the church. And I just, I mean, it, that, you know, I just, I was totally unprepared that Sunday morning um, for that to happen. And um, to say that, it, I mean, it, it, was, it was like a wrecking ball moment in my life that um, I couldn't believe that someone was brave enough to, to do that. And um, I can't say that I ever thought even during my recovery group that I would do that, but um, it's funny how God can work on our on our hearts. And a decade later, um, I felt really led in that direction with my, that ministry, and um, God opened up doors like I can't even begin to explain. And um, I've yet to receive any criticism or, um, gosh, any negative feedback at all. It's just been um, incredible, and that's all God, 100%. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty Cause my, remarkable. Because my story is really ugly, if you want to be honest, and uh, the redeeming part of it is is all God. So that's the beauty of it. Can I can I ask what kind of church you grew up in? Sure, I would say that um, at the time it was considered a contemporary non denominational Christian church, uh, but my my parents were both brought up and very conservative church backgrounds. Um, and I was a part of a really large church in Indianapolis. It was um, East 91st Street Christian Church. And I know they do really great things, but um, my mother was in ministry uh, as a children's minister, and um, we were involved in every last church thing you could possibly be involved in. And um, from a standpoint of how I was raised at home, it was just very conservative. Um, certain topics were just really not discussed. It was, you know, you don't have sex till you're married. Why? Because, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And yeah. um, I think even when my, my parents were, were doing their very best, uh, they, um, 
they erred on the side of, of shame and, um, I don't know, just kind of fear tactics. They were ultra strict. Um, there was very little grace when mistakes were made. Um, and I can remember just having a rebellious streak in me, um, with small things from middle school to early in high school, things that, that really did not deserve the harsh punishment that I got. Um, I think just built, built walls between me and my parents. And so, um, when my mistakes became bigger and the consequences greater, I felt I had no one to turn to. So, yeah, I mean, my, my church upbringing was, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't specifically remember there being, being taught that there were unforgivable sins, but, um, just like there are hot topics today in, um, in the news with, uh, acceptance and inclusion and whether or not you believe in someone's lifestyle versus, you know, all that we're not going to get into. But I think in the time I was that the hot topic there was, um, you know, the purity culture, the, all of that type of stuff was just getting really, really big, I think. And then the, um, you know, anti-abortion pro-life, um, you know, rallies and, um, you know, just, I mean, my parents were even part of, um, and I, I sat, <laughs> I stood through several of them, um, the silent, uh, I wouldn't say petition, but, um, I don't know. We all carried pro-life signs and we lined the streets of Meridian in Indianapolis and it was like a silent protest. And, um, I don't know, there was just, very much so, um, the, the pro-life culture being, uh, you know, my parents had the abortion stops a beating heart bumper sticker. I mean, it was just like, that was their, a big thing when I was, um, an early teen and all through high school. So um, do you, do you think Sarah, like, this is one of the questions we wanted to ask you, but the, do you think that actually helps? Because I mean, you're talking about the purity culture? No, just the, the protesting and all this, all that stuff. Like, oh, okay. I feel like that leads for people further down the shame trail. Like, because it's almost like, I don't, I guess militant can be a good word for it. Like a, a protest that like has like a, a set purpose and goals and like this, they, they're very boisterous and whatnot. And sometimes the voice, the voices for what we think is a good cause can sometimes silence the voices that, are most afflicted by that particular uh, in those particular circumstances. Yeah. I think the approach is backwards. I think the, um, the idea of all the unborn children and the innocent lives lost um, is just grievous. I mean, there's no, um, there's no denying the fact that life is lost. There's no argument there at all. And it just, it almost gives me the chills to think of, uh, of the voiceless of, of the innocent. And I think that where that pro-life, um, agenda may be started to, to protect and to speak for the ones who can't speak for themselves, um, is really noble. It really is. Um, but the part of the puzzle or the piece that is missing are the, uh, are the women who, 
um, and children, teens, gosh, if you want to be really honest, who are abortion vulnerable, the ones who are um, in a place where uh, that might feel like their only choice and and that that side of the pro-life movement simply does not understand um, how a woman could possibly make that choice. I mean, they, um, I think many, I, mean, I guess I'm speaking in, in just my own opinion that many think that women who have abortions are murderous, evil, um, just, uh, you know, despicable people when really it's, uh, most, I've never, I've never met a woman who hasn't regretted her abortion in some great way and who didn't feel like, I mean, she didn't want to do it. I mean, there was no like, oh, this will be easy. I'm just going to go get my nails done, my hair cut and have an abortion. Like, it's not like that at all. It is um, one of the most horrible um, decisions that someone could make. And then I think with our culture and our society and then the purity, um, you know, culture that was created and all of this pro-life stuff backs women into a corner, especially Christian girls and teenagers who were raised in a Christian home into a corner where they feel as I, I felt like I had no other option. Um, as crazy as it is, is how, how much I knew that it was wrong and how much I knew that, um, that, it was not the right choice. It still felt like my only choice to protect my family from shame to, um, I mean, it was almost like I had to do it to cover up all of the sin leading up to that, um, up to that moment. And, um, and, and for that, I think that's where, where the, the, the uh, protests, even if they're silent and peaceful, or even the picketers who are loud and um, scary, uh, the the woman who is in that desperate place is forgotten, um, and sh- and she's misunderstood completely. And that's where I think um, the I am hoping that the culture is changing by putting a face to the women who have abortions, because the statistics inside the church and outside the church are no different. I mean, these are our sisters, our friends, our moms. These are women in the choir. These are women who are in, you know, all through the pews of our church. Um, and it's, you know, the, I think the more people, the more people that know it's not just a, uh, a sinful harlot of a woman who is faced with this choice. In fact, I think, statistics show that it's mostly upper class white women who have who have abortions so i don't know yeah i i, I don't yeah. want to be quoted on those type of statistics but on in lots of articles and things i've read it just it's not really the picture that people have in their mind of of the abortion vulnerable yeah and i i th- yeah, I mean, there's I, as I'm listening to your story, Sarah. Like, I'm, there's some like key things that kind of firing off in my head, like some connections that I'm making. So we've we've obviously had a lot of people on our show that have had similar backgrounds to you, and one of the things that I find is the common thread is they were sold not the gospel. They weren't sold Jesus Christ. They were sold a particular legalistic view of Christianity, and that for 
led them down a, a, a shame spiral and basically being sold this this legalistic view that isn't Christ. So like when something bad happens, like in, in, in your instance, you know, you, you had an abortion, like you were you were like you said, you were backed into a corner. You felt like you had no other option. And there was no there was no part of the the gospel that was taught to you that said, Well, let's sit down and let's talk about what you're going through and let's confess. Uh, let's confess and talk about sin because that's what the Bible commands us to do. Instead, it was it's more like you need to be this way because that's just because that's what the Bible says, and then there's no room for grace at all. And I think right. it, I think it's sad, and I think that's partially why you're seeing we're seeing so much of this deconstructing, reconstructing culture happening in the church, and like the you know the old the, the old regime is kind of freaking out. Like why is why are these people rebelling against the church? It's like it's not necessarily rebelling against the church. It's rebelling against legalism. And I'm, I'm very thankful that you you're here with us today to share that story, to shed some light on this particular topic, because I do feel like abortion is one of those, those sins that people say that it's like, it's right there next to blasphemy of the Holy spirit. And it's like, no, that's not it at all. Right. I think there, there are definitely, um, I think, yeah, you're right. Gosh, there are so many people who, um, yeah, good God, godly Christian people who think that I have sealed my fate, that I am headed directly to hell, that there is no redemption for a person who's capable of doing what I did, and that that my particular sin is unforgivable. And that is not God's word. That is no. not God's grace. And that is not um, at all who I have, who I, I painstakingly learned, um, had to relearn. Um, I, I pictured when I chose what I did that, that that's actually what I thought for years, that, I, that God recoiled in, in disgust from me, that I was, um, that I absolutely deserved all of the consequences, the earthly consequences, the anxiety, the depression, the, um, the, the daily regret. I mean, I felt like my entire life was a lie because I had this deep, dark secret that no one could really know me ever. I mean, there's no way I could ever tell anyone that I had done this. In fact, I, uh, the only person who knew that, that I had done this was my boyfriend at the time. And we vowed to take it to the grave our relationship dissolved within six months. Um, there was just no recovery from that kind of. You said um, you were you were sixteen too, right? You know, my video is misleading. When I was sixteen, I started to be rebellious. I was okay. eighteen. I had I was one month after my eighteenth birthday. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I that is it is misleading because in my video I say at the age of sixteen I started to rebel, and that's when I was. Um, having premarital sex and, um, you know, just living what, you know, just a rebellious lifestyle, kind of a double life. You know, I was still, I was still a part of the youth group. I was still singing in the choir. I was still going to school, but my boyfriend and I were having sex. Um, at, at 18, um, I, I turned 18 in June and I had my abortion in July and, um, so no, it was it was right after my senior year in college, and right before I headed off to Purdue, and um, and so, I mean, sixteen, eighteen, God, I was I was still a kid. I, I mean, I that's was, what I'm uh, getting at. That's yeah. <laughs> that's I mean, I was a kid. Yeah. I had no, um, 
you know, I, I, of course I thought I knew everything at the age of 16, 17, whatever, but, um, that was kind of part of it. We were part of the youth group. My boyfriend went to a Christian high school and, um, they, which I, I still think this is crazy, take vows of purity. And if they do, if they are found out of not being pure, they're kicked out of school. Um, so it just, that's insane. This, the standard was set so high and the purity culture, I think that is where I'm, you know, right or wrong. I don't know. I will do things completely differently with my kids. I mean, um, when I was able to, uh, really relearn who, who God was and what Jesus did on the cross, um, and, and the freedom that I could have in, in true, like you said, confession and repentance um, and, and, um, just like literally, literally letting what Christ did on the cross cover my sin and accepting it, um, was just completely transforming. Um, knowing that God loved me so deeply and that there is like his love is so vast and so great. So incomprehensible. Um, the women who led this Bible study, um, were just so gracious with me. My heart was so hard um, at the beginning of this. And I, I mean, I, I looked at these women like they were crazy. Like they talk about this freedom and this forgiveness and that's all great, but that's not for me. Like I'm, I don't know what they're on, but I'm not, I'm not going to feel that way at the end of this. I'll give it a shot. You know, I'll go through this post-abortion recovery group because my life is a mess and I still hate myself. So why not? Whatever. Um, and I was super jaded and I had, you know, all kinds of things to fire back and, um, you know, well, just to, I don't know. Um, I don't know how to even describe it, but, uh, God certainly softened my heart through the process and, um, my facilitators, uh, the women who led the Bible study were just, uh, they were just incredible. They spoke truth to me and we worked through not just our abortion issues, but all the sin leading up to it. Um, and, and biblically what, um, you know, <laughs> what the cross did and that was it. And, and it took me a while to really let that, that kind of knowledge go from my head to my heart. Um, it's like, I, I, I can, I can believe that. Okay. You can tell me one thing, but I don't feel forgiven. Um, and you know, it was, there's a really beautiful, um, part of the study that, um, it just is almost perfectly, um, uh, just perfectly timed, I guess is the right way to put it for most women is that you go through different chapters about, you know, unpacking your past and, and, and confessing your sins and on all these things. And then we get to the part of forgiveness and there's, um, another study that a woman brought in and she says, you know, there's really, there's really no place in the Bible, um, that, you know, God says that we have to forgive ourselves because that was my big hang up. I, I was like, you know, well, maybe God can forgive me, but I can never forgive myself. This is my ball and chain. I'm going to carry this around and I deserve to feel like a crappy, horrible person because I am. And, um, you know, she, she pulled out this kind of this book that had this really amazing um, passage about that the Bible does not ask us to forgive ourselves. 
that authority belongs to Christ alone. And when we say, I, okay, maybe God can for- forgive me, but I can't forgive myself, then we elevate our ability of forgiveness over Christ. And I was so humbled by that and, and, and relieved at the same time. Like, you're right. I, w- I will never be able to forgive myself because that's my natural earthly consequence. But I don't have to live in a place of self-hatred and brokenness because God sent his son and he took care of it for me. And it was a game changer. That's so awesome. How, how, how old were you when you started the recovery group? I was 20. Let me think back. I was 20. Six years old. Holy cow. I was twenty six. So from from so, eighteen to twenty six, you hid this. Yeah, I had. Wow. I, I ended. I ended up telling my older sister um, about three years later, because um, she seriously was like, "What is wrong with you?" I mean, I you know I went from pretty much a good church girl, so everybody thought, to like just a very destructive, um, self-destructive, wild party girl in college. And um, I was just making one poor choice after another. Like when you do the unthinkable, when you, when you do what in your mind might be the worst thing you could possibly do, then what else is, I mean, yeah. like, wh- you know, like what's the point of even trying to be good or going, I mean, you know, I was in college and I never went to church and um, I just continued to, um, go on a very ugly downward spiral um, because I hated myself. Um, and I can remember my sister, my older sister, kind of, we were at Purdue at the same time, and she just really kind of cornered me um, and just through tears and, and whatever, I, I just said it. And um, there was some relief there, and she did try to find some help for me, and I wasn't ready. I just couldn't face it but um she was really the only one who knew for another (laughs) uh, string of years and i never um, wanted to tell my little sister because um you know on the outside i may have looked like i was okay um you know happy party girl whatever still making poor choices dealing with all of you know that sort of um i don't know just again consequences of my lifestyle and, um, but, but really I just didn't want my little sister to look at me for half a second and think, well, she, she did it. She's okay. And, uh, you know, cause really that the deepest part of the pain that I felt daily, um, I, I completely hid from people. And I think that's another part that people don't understand that the shame and the remorse, um, are just all consuming. I mean, there wasn't a day that went by that I did not think about it. And to, and if there was a day that went by that I didn't think about it, the next day I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I, I didn't, you know, beat myself up over that or, or whatever. And um, like when I say it was a ball and chain, it, it literally was, um, was just on the forefront of my mind all the time. And um, that negative self-talk and the self-hatred and all of those things that even after my post-abortion recovery group, I went through some pretty intense counseling so that I could undo the years of self-hatred that I had put myself through um, really unnecessarily. Um, 
so I, I don't know. I think, uh, yeah, I think for years no one knew. Um, and then in, in, in Dallas, I, I happened to be living in Dallas at the time, um, in 2006, um, when I was 26 years old, I was sitting at, at, at a church, Northwest Bible, and um, they decided to talk about the upcoming women's Bible studies that were available. And <laughs> I was kind of, I mean, I, I had a little, I had, my daughter was maybe 15 months and I was married and um, was kind of trying to get my life back together. I don't know. I felt drawn to a church and um, I still felt like a fraud. I still felt like I maybe shouldn't be at church or I wasn't allowed to be there. Or if anybody knew about, you know, that part of my past, um, I would certainly be like kicked out or something. I don't know. Um, and when she got up to speak about her abortion and about the upcoming Bible study and um, all that kind of stuff, I was blown away. <laughs> um, and I can remember like, calling the church later because i couldn't i couldn't like you know write down her number or let anybody in the whole church know that that she was talking directly to me um but i mean even hearing the word abortion even hearing like you said like the picketers or something um the billboards all that kind of stuff would just send me into a panic attack almost or just like that hyper nervous feeling and um and she uh she, she put me on a tailspin for sure that Sunday morning and I, I kind of left a hot mess. Um, but I had to call, I mean, I was, I'm from Indiana and I, and I was anonymous in Dallas. So, um, so I was like, you know, I guess I could go and I could just see what these crazy ladies are talking about. And, um, <laughs> and it was a, a, be- a beautiful thing. And, and from the part of the beginning of that study to the end, the women who I came in with, who were just broken and hurting, we all left, like, beautifully redeemed. And every Bible study that I've been able to lead has been the same way. I mean, women come just shattered pieces of who God intends for them to be, and they leave fully restored. And not to say there isn't still work to do after you get through a six to nine week Bible study that really focuses on focuses in on this, but I mean, it's it's just the start of where God can take, you know, a woman who has um, suffered not only the abortion experience, but I'm sure years of self-torment and shame. So, yeah, Sarah, this is like it's amazing because you're telling us this story, and I've got like a big smile on my face, and I, <laughs> I passed a note to Alex as you were talking that just says the power of confession, and I mean, confessions talked about so... Are we like high school girls passing notes to one another (laughs) during an interview? (laughs) Yeah, right? Well, it's just like, it's, it's, you know, the Bible tells us to confess our sins to one another. I mean, here you carried this this burden of a secret forever, but the reason you carried it was because... because you didn't feel safe confessing your sin. You didn't feel safe in the environment that the Bible says that we should establish in the church, a safe place to confess our sins, and it doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel safe within our own home, telling our no. telling our parents and then telling the church. And Yeah, no, it wasn't safe. It wasn't safe for me. And I, 
Um, I, I mean, I nearly got kicked out of my house for far lesser um, offenses, um, according to my parents. And um, there was no way to confess um, yes. my sin or, or say anything at all to anyone. And I had to carry, you know, a, a silent, hidden skeleton in my closet. Like, I mean, when I thought I was going to take that to the grave, I literally, I really had convinced myself that I was going to take my abortion to the grave. Like, no one would know. And um, I think that was probably just, uh, I don't know, feeding ground or, or, or whatever for the enemy to just really isolate me um and i look back now at how vulnerable i was and how um, easy of a prey i must have been to uh continue with those thoughts of um unacceptance of shame of of just um you know i mean i think more for me i was just terrified of shaming my parents of of how they would um feel um how much how shocking it would be for everyone i mean you know there was just no you're right i mean the the biblical example of what is is christ calls us to do and what he asks of us is to confess to one another um so what can be what's in the dark can be brought into the light and that was i never saw that as an example at my my church um I, i never saw people sharing their testimonies there was never um any sort of uh, of culture like that, um, that I, that I see happening now in really healthy, really good, um, uh, forward thinking churches. Um, so yeah, there was, there was nowhere for me to go, um, in that purity culture. I mean, there was just, you kind of, I mean, I, obviously I took it more than one step too far and there was no redeeming for me within my church or my friends or, um, even extended family. I mean, I can remember even for like half a thought thinking, maybe I could go tell my aunt, maybe I could go live with her. And then like, Oh no, no, my, you know, like just that that would not happen. Um, and you know, people get onto the discussion with me sometimes like, well, you know, what if, what if it was illegal? What if you didn't have the option to abort? Like, that's what we're trying. We're trying to make it illegal. We're trying to keep that from being an option so that you wouldn't have that as an option. And then you could, um, you would have to, you know, have the baby. And, um, for me, I, I would have most likely, and I, I, you know, you can't just say, I'm not, I'm really not saying this lightly. Um, but I most likely would have taken my own life there. It was, it was that, um, scary of a prospect for me to, to face the shame, the shock, the, uh, the pain I would put my family through, um, all of that. Um, and so after I had my abortion, I had almost wished for years that I would have just killed myself. Um, that I, that I was such damaged goods at that point that my life really, I mean, even though my life went on, um, I was, I, I, I don't know. It's so sad for me to think that, um, I could have been even another statistic of, of suicide because there was no, there was no place for me to go and no outlet. And that was the beauty of the group is that none of us, I mean, all I, there were like, 
I mean, just the, the vast majority of the women who were in my group. And it was a, a smaller group of about, um, well, there were eight women and two facilitators. So there was just a group of 10 of us in this cl- particular class. But we never talked about it. We never had anyone to talk to. You don't just weave into a conversation and like kind of chat with your girlfriends about your abortion experience. No, like I, I didn't know a single person who'd had an abortion. I had no one to talk to. I had no no one to confide in, uh, nothing. And so even that, like just being able to say it and with a group of women who all had been in the, the exact same situation. I mean, our stories were all different, but like that, that you unified us. And that was, that was liberating too. There was just like this, this sigh of relief. I mean, the tears that we shed for ourselves and for each other were real. I mean, we were, we were a mess, but it was, it was beautiful. Like it was, there was a, there were so many tears and there was a lot of laughter, sometimes really inappropriate humor. But um, but we were, you know, no, I don't know how to put it. Like just a group of bad girls who finally decided we'd had enough of ourselves and and we really were um, just putting it all out there and searching for that that forgiveness. Um, and all of us felt so drawn to this study different ways. Um, and, and looking back now, I know that it was, it, it always is. Um, God just so gently and so patiently finding his lost sheep and bringing them back. And that's what he did for all of us. All of us. It was, it was really incredible. Yeah. How special does that feel when, when Jesus leaves the 99 sheep and comes after you. <laughs> it's, it's mind boggling. I mean, it, especially the one that just should be left for dead, you know, the one that's worthless, the one that is scrawny or not going to, you know, full of a, a, a rap sheet that goes on and on and on. I mean, yeah, that's, that's definitely how I felt like I was just, I was totally discardable. And, um, that was, that was really not the case. Um, my and my my worth was and is all of us is immeasurable like there's no um there's no way to measure uh the worth that we have in christ and i i think that's just the, the i guess that's what a lot of people miss if without confession without having that um that outlet or even just the, the church speaking that truth to congregations and to small groups and within, within, um, within people's families. I think that's where I hope to see the biggest change, um, you know, from generation to generation, like each parent, I think does best, best they can. And they try to do better than their parents, um, in, in a perfect world. Um, and for me, I, I think I might even overdo it that there is just nothing, absolutely nothing that my kids could ever tell me that one will shock me or two that will make me stop loving them. And, um, my 12 year old daughter is, um, the only one of my children right now that knows, um, age appropriately, um, that, that I've had an abortion. Um, but I mean, I, you know, I can remember, um, you know, having those conversations with her just probably closer to the age of nine or 10, um, when her Catholic church, um, she's, 
she goes to a Catholic um, school. So when the Catholic church was starting to talk about, you know, abortion and all the crosses and the, the, I think there's a month of, you know, the sanctity of life and that sort of thing. And all of those are good and well-meaning, but um, I felt really convicted to be like, all right, we need to, we need to talk about this. And, um, you know, over the years, I think being as open and honest about our struggles, uh, I mean, whatever it is as a parent, um, and not creating this idea that our parents have done no wrong, um, within the family is so crucial because, um, I, that's where I want to change things for my kids. Um, and that's, I don't know. So I guess it's just the biggest thing I think I could do. And I think any good Christian family can do for their kids is to create that environment um, where they, their children know without a doubt that they, ha- that that's their safest place. I mean, where else are they going to go out into the world like I did and fend for themselves? Yeah. And who, who better to teach them than their, uh, yeah. their mom and dad? Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, with, with a myriad of different topics, like that's one of the, the things like my, my wife, I don't, I don't know why, but all of a sudden she like started, stu- she stumbled upon this blog. That's like, how to talk to your kids about sex. Like our daughter's going to be two in December. <laughs> so like, start what, talking now. Yeah. I, I, guess, I guess that's what we're going to do. I guess that's what we we're going to start with doing. our boys. <laughs> you know, I'm suggesting on top of it. There's a reason why we close the bathroom door like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. I know, and I think being really candid and having, um, like, being able to talk about it within your family and not be shamed or whatever. I mean, yeah, their kids are going to get to a certain age where they're going to be embarrassed, like naturally because of puberty and whatever. But like, they're not when they're eight. They're not when they're four. I mean, they're going to be like, oh, okay. Like, the, I mean, ter- different, you know, temperaments of kids, obviously. But yeah, I think not, like nothing, like just the same way. Um, gosh, one of the best. Um, I think had I gone through the abortion recovery group uh, before I had a child of my own, I, it would not have reached me the way that it did. Um, and so my daughter, um, she was uh, just... 12 months, 15 months or so when I went through uh, the Bible study and, you know, the facilitators had been doing this for years and they kept asking me questions like, well, what if, would you, was there anything that your daughter could do to make you stop loving her? No, no, no. She's like 15 months. She's perfect. Well, what if she becomes sinful? Well, I, I'll still help her, you know, all these types of questions that they're just, you know, they're just stringing me along, baiting me perfectly. Um, and then they were just like, that is exactly how your father in heaven looks at you. He, he knows you. He knows you inside and out. He created you. He loves you. He doesn't want you to hide from him. He doesn't want you to, to, you know, hide anything from him um, because he already knows. Like, you know, your own child, he knows you and there's nothing you could do to ever lose his love, to lose his grace, certainly his salvation. I mean, that it was a beautiful picture because, I mean, she was like, you know, but if your child ends up on the six o'clock news and is, you know, 
really uh, accused and you know they're guilty of some heinous crime, would you stop loving your child? And I'm like, never. I'd, I'd probably love them more. And she's like, that is Christ. That is God. That's how God's love works. And um, again, that was just completely freeing for me. And I think as parents now, we, we want to let our kids know that that's the God that we know and love. Um, and, and certainly try to mirror that, that love as a parent or as an earthly parent to our children, because, um, I think that's where it can change. I think, I know you guys were, were asking me like, you know, um, you know, how, how I felt failed by the church or failed by my family or whatever. And that's probably it. Just not being able to, um, confess a sin as little or as great as they were without being shamed or, really um uh, harshly punished you know i think that was probably where for me it became just a deep dark secret and um i don't want that for my children we talk about all kinds of mistakes and um you know like we talk about our own mistakes that as parents that we make and i can i ask my children for forgiveness all the time because i'm not perfect and um I think that's where our our Christian parents and families um, can really change that um, purity culture or the pro-life um, movement and that sort of thing into a more um, just kind of open conversation type thing instead of, I don't know, shutting it down and shaming people over it. Yeah, I think that's... That's kind of the positive that comes out of all the negative of purity culture is the little things like today, um, I'm in the other room and my four-year-old, he's he's in the, the other room and he's playing and he yells out to me, he goes, Dad, you know, I know that you love me. And I goes, how, buddy? And he goes, he goes, because I'm being good, and, <laughs> and which was really super cute. But I told my wife that, and she goes, "Nobody, we don't love you because we're being good. We we love you regardless. We love you even if you were being bad." And yeah. and to me, my my wife grew up in insane purity cult. You're using so many of the same uh, buzzwords that she uses in describing herself mm-hmm. um, growing up in that purity culture. And to me, if if there is a positive through. Oh, the mountain of negatives of purity culture is um, once grace is introduced and forgiveness is realized, it's it's maybe easier for people who've been through it to point out, no, 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 um, you're not loved because of your actions. You're you're loved because you're loved, and that's that's exactly how. Uh, I mean, you've been describing this whole time. That's how our Father in heaven looks at us. Mm-hmm. I think as a parent, you can really relate to that because, I mean, seriously, there's nothing your kids could do to make you stop loving them, you know? And, um, so that, and I just, that's probably the best kind of analogy that, that I, that I can have for that. But yeah, I mean, the whole, the whole purity culture thing, um, I just think it sets kids up for inevitable doom and failure. And even if they do make it down the aisle in that white dress, there's going to be maybe baggage and shame and even just, uh, I don't know, embarrassment or um, troubles 
uh, because I mean, I have friends who, who have remained, you know, that, that walked the line or remained pure. And then they still have problems within their marriage thinking that sex is somehow bad or that, you know, there's just a disconnect there and it's taken years of unpacking, you know, the shame that they carried along, you know, the whole way. And, um, you know, is God's best for us purity before marriage? Absolutely. I mean, no one can argue that there's, there's no, that is God's best for us. And I'm not going to, say otherwise. Um, but there's also room for grace. And when mistakes are made, that that it's you're not damaged goods, you're not completely, everything is not lost. Um, there's a reason for, for all of it. And I think, you know, like, being a teenager for me, I mean, I think it was just so many questions or so many things were just shut down. Um, no one tells the teenagers like, hey, yeah, okay, you're going to hold hands with somebody and you're going to feel all the feels. Like, what do you do with that? (laughs) I mean, what do you, you know, you, you need to talk like really candidly about those things. Um, so that when those things are happening to our teens, as they will, that they will, they will know how to, I don't know. They'll know how to face it. They won't think that, there's something wrong with them. They won't think that, oh, well, if I feel this way, it must be right type of thing as well. I mean, there's just a lot of confusion around um, the purity culture that I think, I mean, did I, I mean, did I know better? I absolutely knew better. And I knew that having sex outside of marriage was a risky thing. But in my wise 16 year old self, I was going to marry my high school sweetheart. We were going to, we were going to get married. It was going to be okay. Um, And so there was still some sort of innocence there as well. Um, and of course all of that was, um, was lost through the pain of our abortion. And there was, there was no recovering after that. It was just, just, um, the demise of our relationship because I was, and I'm sure he was too, but just so wounded and so broken from that experience. Um, there was no, there was no moving on from that. And at the time, did you, you know, because, because of that culture and because of your fear to, to confess, did you feel like that was the best option? Um, that other than, yeah, other than ending my own life, I felt like that was the only option. Um, and unfortunately, um, the confirmed pregnancy test at a Planned Parenthood, um, they were the only people who treated us well, they were the only people I gave an option to, I guess. I did not walk into a pregnancy care center. I did not go to any sort of church-affiliated place. Um, so I guess I can't say what could have happened if I had walked into a place like that. But, um, you know, the Planned Parenthood person was like, don't you worry. This is fine. We'll get this taken care of. And there was some sort of, like, kind of sense of relief, like, oh, okay, okay, they know what they're talking about. I can get this taken care of. And I mean, they really sadly kind of got the ball rolling for us without really even thinking about it. Oh, you're so young. We'll just, you'll just, we can get you in in a couple of weeks and we'll just set the date and we'll just do this. And it was just kind of all said and done. And I kind of remember leaving like with a confirmed pregnancy test and then everything taken care of, like just numb, like getting in the car and like, I don't even think that 
my boyfriend and I spoke for, uh, I, I don't even know. There was, we just had no words and I can remember him maybe taking me home or something or stopping somewhere. And like, so is this what we're going to do? I don't know. And I, I remember thinking, what else are we going to do? Well, I mean, you know, and it was just kind of like a non-discussion and we just, and, and I think that's the sad part too, is that in the midst of my fear and the initial shock of it all and, and everything that Planned Parenthood was right there to sweep in and take care of it. Um, and, and I, I'll never know. And I, and I, and I hate, and I hate this because I, I just will never know. Um, I never gave my parents a chance. I never gave anyone in my youth group a chance. I never, um, I never even thought to, uh, to go to a, a, a Christ, a Christian, you know, based like, you know, pregnancy care center. Um, so I don't know what would have happened if that was the path I took. So that, I'm sorry. No, you're go ahead. No. So, so in that regards, it's kind of like the secular society failed you just as bad as the church might've failed you or your fears might've failed you because here you've got what you would consider a problem and they provide you this solution, but they don't tell you, Oh yeah. Like you're going to go through some terrible depression afterwards. Like, you know, right. Um, yeah, absolutely. It was just kind of like, you know, don't, don't worry. You can, this is just going to, they're going to take care of it and it's, you're, you're going to be able to move on. I remember all those kind of like, um, which, which in that fear, it, it was kind of a relief. It was like, okay, yeah, yeah. Like, um, I could, I'll, I'll buy into this. And it was kind of, just gives me the chills now to think that, um, there was never, never once a discussion of us keeping the baby. The word baby was hard. I don't even think used. Um, no, nothing about adoption, nothing about any other options. It was just like, okay, you're pregnant, you're young, you're headed off to, you know, college. Like this is, this is not going to, this is, this is not going to end your life. You're okay. And so their support, their secular support, um, I guess was well-meaning, but, um, but yeah, no, there was, um, definitely not, there was no preparation for, um, the grief and the shame that is really like a, a postpartum depression, uh, a post-traumatic stress type thing. And it, it does have, I think an official name of, um, uh, postpartum or post abortion, um, post abortion depression or post-abortion something. I can't think of the word. Gosh, no, I'm, it's like, what? It's 10 o'clock. It's past my bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Us too. Yeah. For me, for me, Sarah, like, I feel like to hear you say that, say those, these things in these last couple of minutes of this interview here, it's like, I, for me personally, like I would consider myself in the pro-life camp. Like I love babies, want to do whatever I can to help babies, this and that. But like the thing about the pro-life movement, and I think what the the reforming of it needs to be is like yeah so saving babies is well and good but like again we can't just turn this political issue into just an issue like this affects real people and it affects mom mm-hmm. the mothers of those children so like for for me it's like 
if somebody comes to me and says, I'm pro-life and I've, I vote this particular way and I write my senator about this particular piece of legislation in order for them to, to enforce it and to write it into law, it's like, yeah, I don't think you're going about it the right way because you can, you can get all that stuff done. But guess what? If somebody wants to get an abortion, they'll find a way to get one. The thing that we need to start doing, the thing that we need to start putting our money where our mouth is. And, and I'm going to paraphrase the apostle James, but, uh, talk is cheap. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. but actually start doing something. And I feel like this should be a wake up call for the, the person that's sitting out there that is pro-life. Like here's a woman who felt like planned parenthood was her only option. How much it, it could have very well been different. We don't know. And that's, we're going to leave that to God. God right. forgave you of all that stuff. But for the for the pastor, for the churchgoer who is who is that person that you know they're always doing this this sanctity of human life, or they they vote a particular way every election because they want the the pro life candidate. Start putting where your start putting your money where your mouth is. Start volunteering at a pregnancy center, or start finding moms in your community that are struggling and would otherwise seek that abortion route and say, hey, how can we? Can I buy you some diapers at least? Can I start with that? You know what I mean? Right. So, or or let's not be naive and think that all of our Christian kids are going to 100% take that purity route. The statistics are like, let's just, I wish I had them. I'm going to throw something crazy out there. Like 85% of, the, of people are not 100% pure before they get married. married. And we're talking about like, these kids, these Christian kids, let's not be naive there. And we, that we can go on a whole nother discussion, but I think in, within your, within your home, be pro-life, talk about babies, love babies, do the right thing as far as you think your where your vote should go or whatever. Um, but don't let that be like the, the line that you draw on the sand, um, for everything, because um, it's, it's the women, it's, it's not like just the single mom who, you know, whose boyfriend left her or something and, and she's, you know, just going to go have an abortion because that's the easiest thing she can do. Um, it, it's, it's our youth group girls. It's the girls in college who have fallen in love and have decided also that, their parents are going to kill them if they are pregnant in college. It's, it's, it's alarmingly a, um, upper class, middle class white girl problem. And so let's not be naive with our children. Let's not think that they are walking this path of purity. Um, and just, uh, let there be grace and let there be just without a shadow of a doubt, um, a place for a girl who finds herself out of wedlock pregnant, that she will be received with grace and love the same way we have divorce care and, um, Oh gosh, what are all the other things that we've gotten over? Like over the our, years? our church has like a huge drug recovery, but I've never heard of a abortion, abortion recovery. Right. E- it's still ever until I heard sh- your story. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
And there is a movement of, of women who are um, sharing their testimonies, but gosh, it's still a pretty big skeleton in the closet. Oh, yeah. And, and women who were, let's even say in the, in the seventies and um, like, like my mom's age um, were like, completely told it's just a blob of tissue they had no real like evidence the way we do now of the pictures of a seven eight week embryo um fetus all that kind of stuff that is just um undeniably uh like kind of in your face like no it's not just a late period it is way more than that um and so bringing that shock factor and stuff kind of um off the plate in the discussion. Um, but I just think youth pastors, youth ministers, uh, full-blown pastors of our churches, women's ministry, um, and just all the moms at home. I mean, think, think about the struggles you had as a teenager all through college, um, all of that kind of stuff. And what if it would have happened to you? What if it would have happened to you out of wedlock? Um, a gracious, gracious, wonderful friend of mine, after I had come out with my testimony, um, said that, you know, I, I always believe that like, if you've, you know, that I'm no better than anybody else because I've, I've already committed the sin in my heart. And she shared with me that, um, her and her college boyfriend who they, they ended up getting married. Um, had a scare and she was freaking out. She thought she was pregnant. And she said without a shadow of a doubt in her mind that she was 100% going to have an abortion. Like there would be that, that's just what she would have done. And luckily she was not pregnant and, and rolled right on through life. But she said that she heard abortion testimonies one time and she was just wrecked because she was like, you know, I committed that sin in my mind. Like I would have done it. I, I absolutely would have done that. And um, for her to even say that to me was just so, um, it was really beautiful. And I appreciated her, her honesty because um, so many women, so many good Christian girls and good Christian boys are faced with this choice. And um, it is unfortunately too easy. Um, but the heartache and the shame and the, aftermath um man it's it's not it's not pretty and i think the pro-lifers out there need to embrace um the men and women who have suffered um greatly um from their abortion experiences um and where there's healing there will be more and more healing like the, just the ripple effect of let's just say a person like me openly talking about my abortion experience. And as hard as it is for me to every single time that I talk about it, um, to bring it out into the light. Uh, I know that it's, it's for God's glory that, <laughs> that he allowed, I mean, he knew I was going to do that. Like, did you want better for me? Yes. But this is part of my life and my, uh, I don't know, my, uh, my journey to him and he knew all along that that I would be one to speak up and turn it around for for his glory and I think the more we do that the more we accept um, the stories like these of, of where people have completely failed um, and 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 bringing it into the light is going to be where that that 
turn in the pro-life movement will hopefully be more grace-giving and more open arms um, for women who are faced with the decision um, and not shamed into an abortion, honestly. <laughs> Sarah, I mean, you coming on here is 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 huge for us being, you know, just two guys in a basement, but we know somebody's going to hear this and we hope that it, it finds them well. I've got two more questions for you. Is that okay? Absolutely. So, I mean, the, the first question is, is how does the church fix it? And, and <laughs> fix it's probably a bad word, but I want to say, do you think it would help? And you've done a, a fantastic job of setting this up all throughout this interview and pointing out that, hey, this isn't just like a church versus, you know, non-church people issue. I mean, I mean, I grew up in a church where we talked about abortion, but it was always, you know, those outside. It, it, it never happened within. It was just, it happened outside. And we got to save those people and, and from their mistakes. But um, you, you have rightly pointed out that it's it's as equally inside the church as it is outside of the church. I mean, when when I think it would be more helpful, and and maybe you can clarify this, if from the pulpit people heard messages like, yeah, abortion happens, but it happens outside and it happens inside the church, and there's even grace and forgiveness for that too. Like, yeah, like just acknowledging outside but acknowledging inside as well mm-hmm. and yeah i think some of the best sermons that i've heard um when they're talking about anything grace or um forgiveness or just whatever it might be and pastors use you know world um world like just real life experiences they tell a story of someone who's struggled with you know an addiction or a man who has overcome his um, his issues with porn or a woman who has recovered from her eating disorder or whatever. I mean, there is a whole list of, of sins and of things that we can preach from the pulpit that is all good and well. Um, very rarely do preachers say, um, you know, the woman who had an abortion, uh, is, is, is forgiven as well or that sort of thing. And when I do hear sermons that, um, include that in the, the list of sins. Um, it, it's refreshing, honestly, because I think so many pastors are afraid of using that word. They don't want to hurt women in their um, in their congregation because I think some forward-thinking pastors know that it's their pews are full of women who have have been there. Um, but I, yeah, you're right. I think the church. I don't know if the church can really fix it with a like a like a sermon you know from 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 time to time but if it becomes more of the church's culture to acknowledge it like like you said we have these addiction recovery groups we've got alcoholics anonymous anonymous meeting at churches we've got divorce care and um i mean there's even like uh god fit and stuff like that for people who deal with um you know, eating disorders like obesity and, and that sort of thing. Um, there's all sorts of things, but it's harder to find those post-abortion recovery groups with an open public uh, person like me who's like, hey, 
yeah, I'll lead that class and um, <laughs> I'm that crazy lady now. Um, so I think it starts in the church, it starts in the home, but really a, a way to fix it. Um, it's just the conversations that we have about abortion and not letting it be, like you said, them or those people. It's us. Yes. We are, we are equally broken inside the church. I mean, this is, these are your moms, your sisters, your, your friends who quite likely have been able to keep it a deep, dark secret. Man. So like the, the thing that I keep coming back to and hearing and hearing you talk and we're talking about such a heavy topic here as I've been listening. I listen to audio Bibles all day at work. And so I've, I've been listening over and super over. Super Christian. Yeah, I am just, just <laughs> phenomenal super Christian. Uh, um, I've been listening to the gospel of Mark over and over. And I keep coming to Mark chapter five, where this woman approaches Jesus with this uh, bleeding disorder. Here she's had this bleeding disorder for number of years, and I can't imagine the amount of shame knowing Old Testament law uh, that she had to feel amongst her peers within her tribe and her family. And then it says she went to physician after physician, so it's secular society, and they can't give her any answers, and they failed her too. So you have this woman who is just literally on the fringe of giving up on life, sees Jesus and says, even if I touch the fringe or the hem of his garment, he will make me well. And she does, and he's and she's made well. And I hear your story of maybe the church failed you, not to say you didn't have your own mistakes in there too, or your own hardness of heart, but then secular society also failed you with their kind of misinformation. And here you found complete healing and recovery through a man named Jesus. Yeah. That's amazing. It is. And there's no other way to put it. I mean, I think the, the, the final kind of thought that I would, that I would say is that, you know, my story is, is ugly and shameful and there's so many twists and turns and I fully accept every last decision that I made. I mean, I could, I spent years blaming my parents. I spent years blaming the church. I spent years sometimes even blaming God. Like, how could you let this happen to me? I mean, it was just, um, all of these just, gosh, it's just brokenness and this, um, completely lost place only to find years and years later that it was Christ with me all the time waiting for me just to turn around and and allow him and just allow him into my life into a place of openness and honesty and um and and just complete freedom and there was there was no yeah it it was almost like the just barely touch the garment type thing that happened through that abortion recovery group um, because that was just the beginning. I mean, that was, that was just the beginning of her healing. She went on to, to do many more great things, I'm sure. And always, I'm sure, speaking of giving Christ all the glory of, of her miraculous healing. And that was, for me, it was nothing short of a miraculous healing. It, it was definitely, um, 
it completely saved my life and it was all all Christ and all of his undeserved grace really that's amazing I like I don't know it I don't know what I to just say. love these Jesus stories you <laughs> I know, know it. <laughs> oh. yeah I think I think there you know there's there's actually this movement I just saw recently that women are kind of coming out with their abortion stories um to like lessen the shame of it even secularly um and so that's like I follow these different um people on Facebook and Instagram and um saw someone you know, that this woman uh, shared her secular story of her abortion and how she doesn't regret it and all this kind of stuff. It was the best decision that she had made in her life and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and so there's even, even in the secular world, women are finding some sort of freedom, some sort of solace in being able to talk about their abortion because it's still taboo in that realm as well. It's just not something anyone wants to talk about. It's one of the most painful things women can go through. And and then, like I said, the years, the aftermath, we're wired as women to be motherly, to be caregivers, to to have these soft hearts of, of caring and, and loving and abortion rips that right out of a woman. Um, and then we're just left with our, our remorse and our shame. Um, so, so yeah, I think it would be beautiful to see the church culture kind of do the same thing, allow women to share their testimonies, to be welcomed with grace. And I think if I could say anything to a woman out there who's like, I can never tell anyone. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can obviously talk to Jesus and, 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 and confess your sin. Um, but I think biblically we're called to confess to one another. And the reason for that is because we need that, um, that accountability, that grace we need to see, you know, the way, um, someone welcome us with love and, and give us the tenderness that, that comes from a fellow believer um so yeah i think if if there's a woman out there who thinks i could never tell anybody i mean it's been 15 years it's been 20 years it's been two years i could never tell a single person that i ever did this um you can and you will be free and there are places there are there are groups a lot of pregnancy care centers offer post-abortion recovery um uh materials and sometimes they're one-on-one classes depending on the size of your city um but a lot of times like in obviously like in cities like dallas there are abortion recovery groups going on probably as we speak um and even here in columbus um we have classes um and offer the study um multiple times during the year um and so it's connecting with a group of women who have been in the same place as you um, is terrifying and getting to your very first meeting is the hardest thing you'll probably ever do. Um, but it really is, I think the, the most uh, amazing way to find healing the same way that people identify with each other at um, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting or some other sort of addiction meeting and um, grief share and those type of things where people are all, um, working through the same problem, you are not alone. You are not alone in your abortion um, pain and in your abortion regret. And there is healing um, 
I would love to send you guys links um, to uh, to places where people can um, kind of anonymously look for help. Um, and if you can't call, have a friend call for you. I've made so many phone calls for other friends so that they can just find the name and the number and the meeting time and just show up, you know, and it's, um, definitely, a my one last thing. I just feel like I don't want women to feel like they're alone because they're not, they're so not alone. Um, the statistics are staggering. I think, Gosh, I, again, I wish I had looked them up or something and would be able to sound more uh, <laughs> <laughs> educated with my statistics. But um, one in three women, one in three women by the age of 54 have had one. I mean, that's that's not a small number. No. Sarah, any links you want to send us, uh, we will include those in our show description. So any of our listeners listening to this, if you look at our show description or on our website, you will find all the links that Sarah has for us. Awesome. That'd be great. Sarah, thank you so much for spending time with Alex and I and our listeners and being brave and sharing God's story through your life. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's incredible. Well, Jason and Alex, I appreciate you guys um, even uh, bravely attempting this uh, conversation with a woman you've never met, you know? Gosh, it's not, it, you're right, it's a heavy topic, but I think it's one that um, the more and more it's brought out into the light, um, that there will be more freedom for our fellow sisters and brothers, because uh, gosh, there's many men out there who have um, equally felt the pain of abortion, um, and that healing, um, gosh, is, is the goal, and redemption and salvation of course too so thanks for your time you guys awesome thank you can we get a picture with you real quick sarah is that cool like we do it over skype it's, it's, it's weird but it, it's good for the instagram Wow, Jason. <laughs> I mean, what do you say after that? It's just heavy. Heavy, but also redemptive, dude. Yeah, absolutely. So much redemptive redemption and positivity. Yes. To to put to pull out of that. And it's just amazing to see how God works in different situations, you know. We we think of abortion as this, you know, great and big and giant evil and we treat it as like a topic and then we get to meet somebody who's been through it and you know it's it it's not a topic it has a face yes it, it has a name and i don't know those connections are big for me and i think i said this back when during the 2016 election cycle but i said if you think that we're going to stop abortion if you want to stop abortion just through legislation and voting for your particular politician that's that's anti-abortion, I think you're missing it. Yeah. And so I think Sarah's story in this interview, I hope 
hopefully, oh, if you're in that camp, and I'm not trying to condemn anybody or anything, but if you're in that camp, just to say you voted for this particular person because they're anti-abortion isn't enough. You, I mean, you asked in the in the interview if if abortion wasn't a, an option, what would you have done? And she didn't hesitate to say, "I would have committed suicide." Yeah, like the pressure was so intense, and that is just. Man, that's heavy to think about. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, you know, I think as a church, we have a lot of work to do. And hopefully this interview opens us up to some of the sensitivities of actual people going through an actual trial in their life. Yeah. Um, And I hope people kind of see that it's not an unforgivable sin. Yeah. That's another big takeaway for me. It's, again, Christians... Unfortunately, we have this tendency to elevate things up to that that unforgivable sin. Like, well, you've crossed yeah. this line, so now there's no turning back for you now. There's no way God can save you. And that's not who our God is. Yeah. I mean, it's very I mean, we talked about it in the episode. It's very clear which sin is unforgivable, and that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that. And so Abortion isn't that sin. Yeah. That's not crossing that line. And I mean, I think Sarah's testimony is 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 a witness to that point that there is redemption that can be found for those who have had abortions. And then the other big takeaway that I wanna that I, I mentioned earlier I mentioned in the intro to this episode was open and honest confession. Oh man. Like oh. it, you can't escape it. And I think we need to have a a separate episode on that alone. Yes. It needs its own. Yeah, so like I mean, this doesn't this doesn't tie in well because in our, in this outro here, we're, we're going to talk about our social medias, right? <laughs> yeah. So, like the problem with social media is the fact that everybody's life is looks so good yeah. and so perfect. You, you can paint it however you want. Yeah, you can you can tailor make it to however you want, and but nobody wants to air their dirty laundry. Yeah, and that makes I think that makes confessions so hard when you see well oh the the Joneses over here they're they're keeping they're keeping up. And, and the church feels like that unsafe environment. Yes. And it's like, well, everybody seems like everything's, you know, hunky-dory. It's all sunshines and rainbows. But when you have something on the inside that's dark that you need to confess and God asks and tells us to confess our sins to one another, it doesn't, like you said, Jason, it doesn't seem like a safe place in the church to do that. Yeah. So uh, there, 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 our, our, our social media plug is we have Twitter, we have Facebook, we have Instagram. And it's maybe harming us in the in the area of we're such bad promoters of social media. <laughs> yeah. but, but we have them. I, you know, I wanted to say too before we move on to some feedback is uh, um, this episode, uh, this interview for me had such a redemptive quality, as we said. But the one thing that was kind of nagging at me was we kind of left her parents hanging a little bit. Yeah. Um, not that we were over negative, but we talked a lot about her parents in a negative context so i actually had a follow-up question in email with sarah asking what her relationship with her parents um looks like now and she says it's phenomenal and um it it took some restoration and some healing and some growing on her part and realizing not to put all the blame on them and it took some um it took some growing on their part too but uh, on the whole, I mean, just a total restoration of mm-hmm. brokenness. And that's that's our God. Yeah. He's awesome. He is so, so, just so worthy to be praised and just, oh my gosh, talked about and just stories to be told. Uh, so awesome. But 
Yeah, let's get... let's ruin that awesomeness and talk about social media. <laughs> How you guys can get connected with us. What did you guys think about this show? What do you think about this interview? And oh, dang it, I gotta say real quick too. Sarah left us with link after link of resources mm-hmm. that we are providing um, in the show description. So click on the show description in whatever in whatever app you're listening to, and uh, you can also go to our website and um, just. Just a mountain of resources, uh, links, and um, books, and her advice to me through email was check with your local crisis pregnancy center to get started. And hopefully, you know, if you've been through that situation, those links will help. Or if you know somebody, um, pass them along. Pass this interview along. Pass those links along. So, Jason, we have the social medias, like we said before, yes. and we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, uh, and we got some feedback. Yeah, on from, our conspiracy episode. So, I'm really looking forward <laughs> to reading some of this feedback, and again, you guys, the fans, yeah. are awesome. Michael Basinger. <laughs> from, from the Glorious Pastor. Yeah, at MJ Basinger, he says... Listening to at NY pastors talk about conspiracy theories, so freaking good. And then he quotes me as saying, my dad was attacked by Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> and he was. Um, yep, it's a real story. Yeah. Um, it's canonized. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie Jellick, who left us that awesome five-star review, which you can too. And we will read it on our show. Absolutely. She says, at not your pastors, uh, not really into conspiracy theories, but... What if MIB, Men in Black, was actually a documentary? (laughs) Interesting. Uh, And it probably is. Um, And then one more here. Rocky Glenn at Church Boy No More. He says, this episode definitely in my top five of favorite podcast episodes ever. What? Yeah. How cool is that, dude? That's really legit. Yeah. That's awesome. That's oh man, I can't I can't believe we're in somebody's top five. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, There's, I am too. Like I'm smiling from ear to ear. Right you now. are. I'm looking at you. Actually, can I get a picture of you for our Instagram? Yeah. Smiling in real time. Here is me. Jason's taking my navigating picture. Navigating to my camera. He's like taking my picture. Only a mother can. So long. And that wasn't a knock on my mom. She's very quick with a camera. And there it is. So He's taking the picture. It's going to be on social media. So, Rocky, if you uh, don't follow us on Instagram, well, there's a picture of Alex smiling because of the comment you left us. Absolutely. That's important. Smiling is important. It's it's good for the soul. Uh, Jason, speaking of conspiracy theories, uh, there's a conspiracy out there that we have a website. Well, we do. And I think I just told people to go to it. Yep. We have a website, and I just recently posted a blog about a conspiracy <laughs> that I did. think is—it's I think it's more maybe more fan fiction, a, a connection, a if connection. You're you making some connections, so everybody go check that out. It's called—is it? I think—is it called the Great Connection? It I, is. It's called the Great Connection. It's an article or, or a, it's a thought. Yeah, a blog. we call them thoughts. Our to be new and different. Thoughts. And so just go check those out. And guess what? There's a bunch of other thoughts on there that Jason writes and I write. And they're really good. It's not all uh, fun and games sometimes. it's we, we write some serious thoughts on there. Yeah. So, so this, is, this has been a lengthy episode. But next week, we have Brian Eichelberger. From the Sing Team. From the Sing Team. Coming up. Yeah. And you guys, awesome dude. 
awesome interview. We already recorded it. It's it was a pre-recorded yeah, interview. Because, it's uh, so awesome. Yeah. But uh, Jason, why don't you tell the people one more time about our buddy Nick? Oh yeah, Nick uh, Cotton, who I mentioned at the start of the show. Don't forget about him. Um, again, nominated for uh, Real Men Wear Pink. He's doing a fundraiser for breast cancer. And honestly, it's this has been this has played out in my life, fortunately and unfortunately. Unfortunately, I lost a very dear family member just uh, a little over a year ago, and it was it was painful. Um, and then, you know, fortunately, I've seen the other side where I did have a grandmother who who pulled through. And I wrote a song about it a few years ago, and I wanted to share it with you guys, and maybe you can pass it along to um, anybody you know struggling with breast cancer. So, Alex, if there's one thing we could tell those struggling with uh, breast cancer. The one thing that I could... What, what motivation could you give them? The one thing that I would tell anybody who's out there fighting breast cancer is that one, we're praying for you. Yeah. And two, always keep your stick on the ice and kick that cancer's ass. <laughs> yeah. Check out the, the links in the show description, guys. This song is for my grandma, the ocean, whose waves have battled the coastline. time.